Oh, Father God, we are so thankful for the truth of that song, that there is this, uh, there's this abiding love, there is this abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We don't have to go seeking and looking and searching, Father God, but there is this voice that speaks within us, this ever clear, ever present friend. Father, we are grateful today for just the beauty of um, your life in us. We're grateful today for the beauty of the church, just in so many ways in which you have given unto us one another that we may understand and know the gospel, the fruitfulness of community, the expression of our gifts. Father, I just, uh, as, as we journey together through this season of time in our society, and um, as the church has uh, seen days like it's never seen before, adjustments that have never been made before, but Father, yet through it all, there is this resilience of faith that rises up, and I pray, Father, that uh, you would take the worship that we offer to you today, that you would receive the adoration that we lift to you today. That we, uh, with one voice, a unified voice, may proclaim the greatness, the goodness, and the glory, and the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you today. We praise you. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Now, I want you to know the house of the Lord can be here. It can be in your living room, right? Amen. It can be anywhere where the Spirit of the Lord is, and we're just so grateful. Uh, for those of you that have come here to share in this live stream here live, and um, I think we have about twice as many as we had last week. Amen? Yeah. I think at this rate, uh, by June, we ought to be running a couple thousand, I think, right? Right. Okay. I'm all for that. Um, happy Mother's Day. Amen. Moms, that was a little weak. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Okay. We are so grateful for our moms, aren't we? And um, just hope that they have a wonderful uh, great day. Uh, no cooking, no cleaning, right? Amen. That's right. Uh, I do want you to know that we're going we're gonna to have the same format next week. Uh, you can come and sit in on the live stream. No classes, no kids ministries yet. Uh, that's one more Sunday. Uh, that's really all we planned right now is up through next Sunday the 17th. When it comes to Sunday the 24th, uh, we'll let you know, okay? Because uh, we're not sure yet what's going to look like then. But um, we are in the book of Acts, and we're in the fifth chapter. We're working our way through the book. And um, let me give you a little background before we look at our passage today in Acts, the fifth chapter. For the past two and a half chapters, uh, there's been this series of events that have taken place. Uh, there, back in chapter three, there's the healing of the lame man, and then the arrest of Peter and John for healing the lame man. <laughs> And then they're warned and uh, scolded, and then they're released, and they go back to the church praising God, and uh, the whole church gathers together, they pray, and God literally shakes the house where they're praying, 
And the Holy Spirit, it says, comes again upon them in fullness and great power. And then in chapter 5, as we saw last week, Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they have this uh, scheme to deceive the church to make themselves look better than they really are, and God struck them dead. No doubt about it, God was in charge of this movement, powerfully working through all these events. And um, in our passage today, Luke, the author that the Holy Spirit used to write this book, he he just kind of takes a step back from the narrative of events, and he gives us one of his um, general descriptions of what's going on with this new movement of the Holy Spirit. So it's just five verses, uh, Acts 5, 12 through 16. Let's read it. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. To such an extent get this, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. This is a summary statement. We've seen a couple of them before in the book of Acts. And they, 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 they describe the work of God through all of the apostles now. And, uh, and there's this expansion in this description of more than what we saw in the previous two. An expansion of this work of the Holy Spirit throughout the city and out into the outlying areas, it says. No longer was this... Uh, this uh, this movement of God isolated to one little quarter of, this, of the uh, city. Word had gotten around, and it was creating quite a stir. Now, wouldn't you love to see there being such a stir of the Holy Spirit in the church that it, word just started getting around town? Amen? Something's going on down at that there church. I'm here to tell you, this is point one, when God is working, it creates quite a stir. It creates quite a stir. You see, these people in Acts, they're they're firmly in the grip of the Holy Spirit. He had their undivided attention. He was working mightily through them. And throughout history, we can see the dynamic working of God through various people at various times who were wholly and completely in the grip of God. One comes to mind. Uh, I have to admit something to you today. When I was a kid, a little kid, I did not like Billy Graham. Mm-mm. You know why, right? I'd be over at my grandmother's, and it was time for my favorite show to come on the TV at night, Right? And right before my show was ready to start, they would come on and say, we are preempting tonight's regular programming. Because why? There's a crusade 
of Billy Graham. I'm not even sure if you changed the channel, if it wasn't on all the channels. I don't remember, but my grandmother, she loved Billy Graham. We always watched. You know, in 1983, Billy Graham, he came to Oklahoma City. I, I was living there at the time, and uh, I'd never been in the city where a crusade came, and I said, I'm going to go. I want to see for myself what this is all about. I've seen it on television, yeah. How many of you have ever been to a Billy Graham crusade? Seven of you, right? I tell you, I walked into the Myriad Auditorium there in, in Oklahoma City, and uh, you just walk in, and uh, there's something different about the place. I had been there for basketball games before. <laughs> it was different on this night. Something distinctly different. I listened to him speak, and I got to tell you, as I was listening to him speak, I was a couple of years out of college by then, and I was on my own, and uh, Cindy and I were married, and uh, you know, I kind of had the Christian thing, the gospel figured out, and I listened to him speak, and it's just the gospel, right? He's just presenting the gospel, and I, I'm not really sure that I would learn something from what he's saying, but there was something distinctly powerful in the way he delivered the message of the gospel. At the end of the, at the, end of the message, he said, Ted Smith, why don't you come to the piano? Cliff Barrels, why don't you come up here? And, and what did they always sing? Just as I am. And I'm telling you, I'm sitting there, and the, 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 word, the first verse starts, and literally hundreds, if not thousands of people just stream to the front. It was like this beeline. It was like this fire alarm had gone off. You know what I'm saying? I want to get saved. I just, I just watched and observed as the power of God was mightily at work. I like the story of the Fulton Street Revival in 19, 1857 in New York City. This, was, um, this happened way back in 1857. The, the, the neighborhood started declining, so everybody was moving to the suburbs. Did you know they did that in 1857? Yeah. And uh, the, the, the churches were following their wealthy parishioners out to the suburbs, and one uh, Dutch Reformed church stayed. And they started, uh, uh, they, they, they talked and they said, we need to pray for the salvation of our neighborhood. And one businessman, his name is Jeremiah Lamphere, he was chosen to lead the effort. And he says, yes, I have a burden for the salvation of souls in New York City and in our neighborhood, and we're not going to leave, and I'm going to begin a businessman's noontime prayer gathering so they printed up 20,000 brochures. He distributed them amongst all the businesses in the area. And he says, on this next Wednesday, we're going to be in this little room over here, and we're going to be praying for the salvation of souls in New York City. At 12 noon, he gathered in the room by himself. And he began to pray. And 30 minutes later, at 1230, he heard footsteps, and five guys came in and joined him. Next week, there were 14, and they showed up at noon. <laughs> then it was 20, and then it was 40. 
four weeks into their prayer meeting, the American economy hit a financial collapse. Sound familiar? Panic ran in the streets of New York City. Economic activity decreased 23% overnight. Not only that, tensions were growing throughout the states. The Civil War looked like it was going to be unavoidable at this time. But God was working. Soon they couldn't contain the number of men coming to pray on their noon hour. And so they moved into the main church and hundreds began coming and praying. They were meeting now not just on Wednesday, they were meeting every day. People from surrounding cities came to see what it was that God was doing. And uh, people were coming to Christ in droves. One Irishman, he visited. He was in the States temporarily. He visited. He went back to Ireland. And they say because of the prayer meeting he started, 100,000 people came to Christ in Ireland. In America, over a million were converted, which in today's numbers would be about 10 million converts to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, wouldn't the coronavirus be all worth it? If we could see 10 million converts to Jesus Christ. It all started with one man praying all alone. On one particular Wednesday, when the fire of God ignited a movement. I know that if I went across this crowd, and if I could crawl into your living room this morning and ask you whether or not God could do something like that in our day, we would all agree that he, he could, right? Oh, he could. And I think, don't you think, we have an incredible opportunity right now in this hour, this day, To see God create a stir as he works through his people who are firmly in his grip. Going on. In verse 12, it says that these new believers were all in one accord. Now, that doesn't mean they were all stuffed into a Honda, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. You know the word, it, it, it means that they, they functioned with one mind. Uh, it, it, there was this mutual consent, this complete agreement. The word actually means unanimous. Can you imagine the church being unanimous? Woo! Wouldn't that be great? Amen. We're all in agreement here. I don't know about you out there, but uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting when you look at the, 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 the Fulton Street Revival uh, prayer meeting. They had a couple of rules about how they would gather and pray. Just, just a few. One was no prayers longer than five minutes. <laughs> I mean, they all had an hour. In other words, they didn't want anybody pontificating through their prayers. You ever heard that? Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other rule was no prayers or discussion of controversial or doctrinal matters. They had people from all different churches coming. It wasn't about anyone's agenda. It was all, it wasn't about anyone's fame or notoriety or look at me. 
It was about speaking to God with one united voice, calling on Him to redeem a lost world. When God is working, point number two, it produces unity. It just, it just draws us together. You know, once a month I meet with uh, a group of pastors and we just, uh, we just pray. That's all we do, we just pray. And I, I want you to know that in our group, there's a Baptist. There's a couple of them. Yeah, there is. And uh, there's a non-denominational pastor. Oh, there's a Church of Christ pastor. We even have a charismatic pastor. Yeah. But you know what? We're just guys. We're just guys praying for each other. We pray for each other's churches, that God would just bring great blessing and anointing upon our ministries. And uh, we pray for each other's wives and marriages, and we pray for our, each other's kids. And uh, we pray for each other's journey with Jesus, that we would all just grow closer to Him. And uh, th when we pray together, there is this unity because... There, there's, there's no biases in the room. There's no doctrinal bents being expressed. There's, there's, we're stripped of all that stuff. Uh, we don't even care what the ministry... We're just guys praying for one another. See, Jesus, when, when Jesus is the, the banner, when Jesus is the reason, He just unites people. He brings them together. Differences... Sometimes the Christians squall about, they just squabble about, they just don't seem to matter when we're in the grip of Jesus. Now, there's something in this passage I really don't want us to miss. It's verse 13. It says this, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. There's a little bit of debate as to who, it's, who's it, who it means the rest. I, I, I really do believe it's people in the culture, people in the society. Uh, they looked at this and what was going on in this church, and they didn't even dare to associate with them, but, but they held them in high esteem. There must be something good there, but I, I don't know. Could it be that they saw what was going on and they said, you know, that's kinda, that looks kind of dangerous to me? I mean, have you ever, wouldn't it be great if the world sometimes looked at the church's activity and go, well, this seems kind of, I don't know. The strong implication of the passage is that they are fearful of the supernatural activity that seems to be prevalent in this church. No doubt they had heard about Ananias and Sapphira. It had just happened. And then they see these supernatural healings and they, they see stuff that is out of their normal experience and even though they hold the church in high regard, uh, I'm not going to join. You know, it reminds me, and I bring this up a lot because I think it's a great description of God. C.S. Lewis's uh, children's books, the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, where, where Susan asks Mr. Beaver, is uh, if the lion Aslan, who is the God figure in the story, uh, she asked the, Mr. Beaver, is he safe? She hadn't met him yet. 
Mr. Beaver answers, of course he's not safe, but he's good. I love that description of God. You see, if you want a God who plays by man's rules, <laughs> well, that's not our God. He is untamed. He is uncontrollable. Oh, but he is good. <laughs> Here's the point. Number three, when God is working, it can scare people. <laughs> Sometimes people just become a little bit leery of something that's out of their normal routine. And uh, if you can put yourself in the scene of what's going on this day in Jerusalem, let's say you, you could actually transport yourself from modern America back into this time in the scene in Jerusalem, and uh, this new church is this grassroots movement was growing, it was the talk of the town, and the ruling authorities were dead set against it. And if you were to join up with them, it was seen as an act of rebellion against the government. You, you, see, you see all the love in their fellowship, and there's something very inviting about what's going on there. You see something in the countenance of their faces that is so attractive. They're not vigilantes, and they're not fighting the government. There's just this presence of joy, and there's a freedom in that, this separation from the stuff going, around, uh, going on around them. But you've also heard that there was a couple in the church that were deceiving and somehow they carried them out dead and what's going on? And then there's this whole thing that if they just lay their, their sick out that the shadow of Peter would walk by and uh, heal people. That's just weird. You saw what happened to the lame man whom Peter healed and you saw the arrests that took place. It all makes you a little apprehensive. <laughs> Do I want to join that? Would you risk it? Would you risk believing? Listen, life... Life has always been about managing risk. Amen? Some of you looking at me like, I'm not so sure. We all take risks every day. Owning a car is risky. And now we find that touching a door handle is risky. Right? Does the coronavirus scare you? Does it make you want to lock it all down, to stay in your home and just wait for Jesus to come back? Think about it this way. Somewhere between 38 to 50,000 people die every year in a car accident in our country. But guess what? We all still do what? Drive cars. We have decided somewhere 
that the risk of driving and getting from place to place is worth it. We have managed the risk. As a nation, what if we decided that we wanted to make everyone completely safe from car accidents? So we're going to set a national speed limit of 10 miles per hour. We could save 38 to 50,000 lives a year. Now, instead of driving to Dallas in an afternoon, it's a two-day trip with a stopover in Waco. <laughs> right? On the other hand, what if we said, we want freedom. We don't want our government telling us how to drive our cars, and we want to abolish all speed limits. Do I hear? <laughs> Teenagers, watch it. Everyone just drive as fast as you want, all the time. Deaths would probably skyrocket. Some of you are going, well, let's give it a try, you know. But we could say that we are free to do whatever we want to do. Life is always about managing appropriate risk. Perhaps, I'm just thinking out loud, perhaps an appropriate speed limit is in everyone's best interest. What do you think? Government has a role to play, yes. But I got to tell you something, folks. Don't ever buy into any human being telling you they can keep you safe. The only way to do that is to completely strip away every freedom you have, and even then, I guarantee you it's impossible to achieve. Life on this planet is inherently risky. Here's another thing. Humanly speaking, going with God can seem risky. Sometimes it can seem some downright scary. But I'm here to tell you, from personal experience, the safest place on this planet is to be in the middle of God's will for your life. I wouldn't be anywhere else. What if he placed in your heart the Muslim community of East Asia and you knew he was calling you to go? Oh, you'd been there to visit. And it was more than just a visit. It was like God was speaking deep into your spirit. I'm calling you to these people. It was so strong that you knew that if you didn't go, you're declining God's call for you. Every time you thought of going, there was this spiritual excitement, this sense of destiny. Yet it was mixed with this apprehension and perhaps family pressure for self-preservation and uh, 
Maybe just fearing what's, what I don't know, the unknown. And What would you do? Would you play it safe? All right, now let's make it really personal. You ready? Man, I like having people here. Gosh. <laughs> Facing internal fears involves risk. Let's say there's something in your past that you've been covering up for years. and uh, In the back of your mind, there, you know there's stuff in your life that you, you need to open up and deal with, but uh, it's risky. You know there's pain and unforgiveness or hatred or regret or bitterness, and, uh, but, but if I start dealing with this, it's going to bring it all back up again, and I choose to be safe and live debilitated in my unforgiveness, pain, regret. And just like these in the story who looked at the beauty within the Christian community but refused to believe, you see the beauty, you see the possibilities of freedom. But facing it is just too risky. You play it safe. You keep it buried, unaddressed. You think it's safer. I'm here to tell you it is far more dangerous. Amen. What happens to these people in the story who refuse to believe? Where are they spending eternity? Where does keeping your right to your unforgiveness, keeping your right to your bitterness, keeping your right to own your pain, where does that lead you? It does not end in a good place. You see, risk is the essence of faith. Trusting God. When God is working, point four, it always stimulates faith. It says that, that people saw with their own two eyes what God can do, and they started bringing out their relatives and friends who were sick so that the apostles could heal them. It even got to the point where they just wanted to get close enough to Peter. Just let his shadow come over us. He'll, that'll heal us. Verse 16 says that they came from all the surrounding cities, all who were sick, all who live with unclean spirits, all who were afflicted. Come, come and be healed. And they were. Isn't that good news? Come, all who need healing. You see, these miracles of healing, they validated this ministry. There was no New Testament yet. There was no writings of Paul, no historical record of God's new covenant of grace. It was all in the works, just this group of people in Jerusalem bearing witness to the risen Christ. So God validated that. This was of Him by working in very human situations, by supernaturally healing the sick. Let me ask you today, does God still heal sick people? Sure He does. There are no scriptures, at least none that I can find, that say that the, the supernatural activity of God left the world at some point. 
We even see in the book of James, written after the time of these events, that the sick should do what? They should call the elders and pray for what? Healing. But that, at the same time, we should remember something very, very important. As we see throughout the book of Acts, and we see throughout the entire New Testament, what matters to God is the good news, the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. If healing a lame man helps that, he does it. If it's getting Peter and John arrested, he does it. If it's shaking a building, he does it. If it's striking deceivers dead, he does it. If it's healing everybody, even with the the shadow of Peter that show up, he does it. God's heart is that people believe in him so that he can reach them with his grace and use them to expand the glorious kingdom of heaven here on this planet. It's what he's about. Divine healing, folks, should never be the goal of God's work. Because anyone who receives divine healing, guess what? They're still going to what? Physically die. It is a temporary, non-eternal event. If it is a genuine work of God, it will always be secondary to the primary eternal work of His grace to change the human heart. Aren't you glad He changes the human heart? (laughs) What a miracle that He can take a lost sinner headed for hell and His preemptive work in their life, His intervention in their life can change their entire destiny and change them from the route that they're on 180 and lead them into a heaven and eternal place with Him. Here's something else we learned from this passage, as well as the whole book of Acts. And uh, if, if you have the worksheet, I know, I added another point. Okay, get over it, all right? Point five, when God is working, nothing can stop Him. Aren't you glad I added that point, right? Nothing can stop Him. They had killed Jesus at the cross and thought, that'll stop him, right? But the grave proved no match for him. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit in a demonstration of force to ignite a movement of God through the people of God. And as the movement grew, the religious tried to stop him, but failed. The government tried to stop him, but could not. Aren't you glad the government cannot stop the good news of Jesus Christ today? Thousands of people turning to him in spite of all of the opposition. God always has a plan. He always knows what it is he is doing. Guess what? He is never at the mercy of what is going on. Aren't you glad? He never has his hands tied. He is more powerful. He is more able than any society, any government or any virus. He's bigger than your doubt. He's stronger than your sin. Your past failure is no match for Him. 
Our God is Jehovah Rapha. Amen. Our healer. He is Jehovah Jireh. Our provider. He is Jehovah Shalom. Our peace. He is Jehovah Shammah. The abiding presence of God with us. He is the cure for whatever ails you. Let me tell you, folks, he has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever he reigns. His is the kingdom, his is the glory, and his is the name above all names. Do you believe that today, church? Do you believe that? Then why are you so scared? Why are you depending on the next governor's order for your answers? Why are you pinning all your hopes on a vaccine? Why all the despair, pessimism, frustration, discouragement, hopelessness? We stand in victory today. We stand in victory today. We stand in the beautiful and the wonderful and, yes, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We are encouraged today, Father God, that in the midst of a, of a whole host of opposition we read in the book of Acts, that there is this unstoppable movement of the Holy Spirit through the church of Jesus Christ. And it bears witness to us today, all these many centuries later, this, this culture in which we had all grown so prosperous in, we had grown so comfortable in, so expecting it to last this way forever. It has all been rattled, Father, it has been shaken. And fathers, there's something inside of us that says it's, it's, maybe this is just the beginning. But, but Lord, we are here today to proclaim that this is not where we've been vested. This is not where we've been giving our uh, hope. This is not, this, this temporary uh, seen world it's not where we live we live in this eternal home this eternal place that uh, it's not something we just wait for it's something that is a reality right now that there is this place with you that is so secure so real and so father I pray I pray that you would chase from your people any hint of doubt, any hint of pessimism and negativity and fear and discouragement. And I pray, Father God, that as these folks in the book of Acts have shown us and they lived out through the glory of the Holy Spirit living within them, Father, I pray that we in this day would carry the banner of Jesus Christ high and lifted up that there would be those who would see that and see the mark of your love in our community, that there is this hope that cannot be extinguished.
there is this fire that has been ignited that cannot be snuffed out. We proclaim you today, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together.